listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. And you? I'm doing great. Yeah. You know, uh, we should let our listeners know that this is like the first uh, podcast back from uh, Jeff getting smoked by a uh, pickup truck while riding his bicycle, which sounds pretty horrible. And I have it under some uh, authority that it was, although luckily for Jeff, he doesn't remember remember a thing. So, <laughs> you know, we can just get on with our day as if it didn't happen. Yeah, you know, but I'm going to be milking this concussion thing for decades. Like, no question. <laughs> Oh, no idea what happened there. <laughs> Must have been the concussion. Yeah, you can uh, you can lean on that for a while, I would think. <laughs> My wife's already starting to get a little tired of it, to be honest. I would expect. Yeah, no. Add it to as the is list. her right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, look, uh, I'm I'm really excited for today's guest. I I, I, I think I guess I've I've um, it, it's been said because I've said it a few times um, <laughs> that. There's Sometimes a rumor I, going around. Yeah, yeah. Something I feel like kind of manufacturers, um, you know, as much as yes, they 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 want new prospects, they want new customers. Um, uh, they also have a a different, I think, appreciation for their current customers, um, maybe than some other categories. Maybe I'm a bit biased because we work with manufacturers, so I just tend to like them, but. I feel like there's an awful lot of manufacturers out there that would like to figure out how do I get closer to my customer? How do I understand them better? Um, I, you know, what's that? You know, they, they they know that voice of a customer research is a thing. They they uh, but but they maybe haven't um, uh, dove in uh, as much as our, our guest has uh, today. So I, I, I'm I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. So joining us today is Christy Flores. Christy is the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Tektronix. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Christy. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Carmen and Jeff. I'm so glad you're you're doing well. I'm glad to have you as our first guest post uh, post uh, collision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There'll only ever be one. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> Uh, Christy, why don't you tell us a bit about the, about the company and yourself, if you would. Uh, yes, I'd love to. So I, um, I've been at the Tektronix, the company for 14 years. Um, I'm lucky to have grown a big part of my career at the company. I started in marketing communications. I've led most of our teams from digital, global, um, campaigns and programs the Americas team, um, and I even spent some time with our parent company, Fortive, on innovation management. Um, just about two years ago, I moved into this role. So I would say, you know, I often like to talk about um, just the the belief and systems we have in place and opportunities for development and growth at Tektronics and Fortive, and I, I think I'm a good example of that for sure. So I live in Portland. Um, and it is green and as rainy as a lot of people might think, but it's a beautiful place to raise two children. My husband and I have two kids, nine and six. We love to travel and explore. And right now, I think we've had the wettest month on record for uh, for April for rain, but that is not that. We're still getting outside, but we are looking forward to the summer. So 
And as an East Coast Canadian, I've got to say, I love talking to people from Portland because it's like, you guys rival us for so folks that will talk about weather. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's uh, similarly uh, kind of gray and miserable for part of the year. But I think we get on just fine on both sides of the, uh, uh, of the country here. I'm not sure about those people in the middle, but we'll save that for another day. <laughs> uh, Chrissy, uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, about the company. Just uh, what do you sell and who do you sell to? Sounds great. Yeah, so Tektronix has been around for 76 years. Um, we are based out of um, Portland, Oregon. And we, if you haven't heard of Tektronix, we're really a company of engineers who also creates products for engineers. And if you haven't maybe heard of Tektronix, I have no doubt that you've use pr your products or products in your everyday life that our products help to get to market. So we, um, we develop test equipment or oscilloscopes and other test equipment that really engineers use to test electronic devices as they're bringing them to market. So it can be anything from your cell phone or laptop to airplanes and cars. Um, if it has electronics in it, you can guarantee that um, our test equipment or a, a piece of test equipment was used to bring it to market. Really cool. And uh, so this puts, uh, this, I, I love that, a company of engineers selling to other engineers. Um, man, that's... And impacting everything. <laughs> well, but it's so much more common than people think. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that... Um, you know, marketers who are find themselves surrounded by engineers and they're not an engineer themselves. And uh, it, when they look at who they're targeting, it's it's engineers. So um, how, I guess let, let's kind of start peeling back the, the, the covers a bit around how do you, uh, how have you kind of tried to, if you will, um, uh, wrap yourself inside the mind of the customer. How do you kind of get closer to understanding engineers? You know, um, you know, it starts a little bit with the culture, I would say, Carmen, and, and some of it is, so one of our core values is customer obsession. Um, and that means that we're expecting everyone in the company, whether you're designing the product and you're an engineer behind it, or a product manager, or even a marketer that's bringing that product and technology to market that we need to deeply understand our customers. Um, we have a great set of tools that's also part of the Fortive company that owns us that, so they're world-class tools that we help develop and train our employees on how we do voice of customer work. How do we think about our customers and the jobs to be done? Um, and this really helps empower our teams to use that feedback, but also have a tools and a systemic process on um, how we gather it and how we get closer to customers. So the part of it starts with the, uh, the culture, I would say, Carmen. I'd love to learn a little more about about those tools and, and how you kind of leverage them and bring them to life and sort of what what makes up the, the toolbox, as it were. Yeah, we've got, um, we call them our growth tools. So we've got lots of voice to customer tools, both qualitative and quantitative. We also lean heavily into experimentation to really reduce the uncertainty when we go to market or when we're working with customers. And when I even think back on my own career in marketing over the last couple of decades, you know, I think about the work that we would do. We would develop these really large global campaigns where we would work for months and months 
to get out the door. And oftentimes it was kind of behind closed doors. Um, we would have focus groups, but really not a lot behind that, which as you can imagine, there's a lot of risk associated with developing something behind closed doors, not getting really great customer input on it and then deploying it and kind of crossing your fingers like, let's hope this is going to drive the impact that we want. Um, so when you kind of balance that to what we're doing today, we look at using both qualitative and quantitative customer research, even from when we're building value props, campaigns, getting it in front of customers and asking them to talk, uh, talk out loud on, you know, how does this message resonate? How's the value prop um, working? Um, driving a lot of experimentation to understand when we bring new things, new digital experiences, is it actually driving a better experience and how how's our customer connecting with it? So those are kind of two tools and a couple examples of how we're thinking about it. I think it's really interesting because it, it's bound to be a scary prospect to bring a product to market, not necessarily knowing kind of what the reaction is going to be, or, you know, you think you understand what, what the needs are and all of that. But I think it's something else for a marketer to approach this with the angle of we're going to show you some half-baked ideas and some uh, some thoughts and uh, and hypotheses and uh, we'd like to tell you we'd like you to tell us what you think of them you know and and putting that you know the, that work in front of people that isn't necessarily finished or or fully fully baked yet is a prospect that i think a lot of people would be concerned about especially in the c-suite especially you know, um, you know, a marketer kind of putting putting that out there and and uh, and awaiting the critique. You're absolutely right, Jeff. There is a lot of um, even the first time you know our team started transforming and doing some of this. There was a lot of uh, concern around, you know, what are customers going to say when they see this, and um, is this really going to be an effective way to get a, a campaign that really drives what we're looking for. But what I've seen through the process, Jeff, is how empowering and almost liberating it is for the teams, because we all know how much uncertainty there is when you go and develop a lot of this in kind of this real business closed environment without getting customer input. Um, so it just it's incredible to watch the teams go. And then, you know, when, as you spend time with customers, you know how compelling that is. So it really kind of excites the team. I've seen the, the energy of the team when we do this really just improves. And then it also just develops their conviction of, yes, this is the right way to do it. And then things that aren't working, we just change it and improve it. And there's no, we really try to have this kind of culture of failing is okay. And if things don't resonate well, it's okay. Let's just change it before it drives a, a big impact on results and our customers' experience. It was... I guess uh, I'll be a bit contrarian for a moment, Christy. I just wonder sometimes when you, um, I guess, I, I guess I, sometimes I question how reliable customers are, how how reliable a witness they are to their own behavior, if you will. Like you'll ask them why they chose something or why they did something, and they may well give you a reason, but may not necessarily be the right one. It's just the post-rationalization, if you will. Um, uh, has this, uh, do you, I guess, uh, have you been able to measure in any way kind of an increased level of certainty or 
uh, accuracy in what you're bringing to market or how these campaigns are? I mean, I'm just kind of curious if it, how much of it is it, you know, it feels better because you're connected with customers versus um, trying to get a bit, maybe a bit more objective. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And it's a great question because, you know, sometimes we don't expect customers to tell us what to do, right? Because oftentimes they they may not know the next great invention, right? So a lot of it is just deeply understanding our customers, their jobs to be done and, and their workflow. So then we can get much closer on how we might solve problems a little bit differently for them in marketing. And I think it, it, it's always good that we start with what are we trying to learn here? Um, we never go out to customers and say, Hey, would you, you know, what do you think of this campaign? Right. It's oftentimes it's, could we, could we sell this product with them ever getting, um, seeing the product in person? You know, if we're really dry, trying to drive a digital campaign for kind of more of a mass market product, or does this headline really communicate what we're thinking it communicates? And so when we have customers talk out loud and they say things like, well, limitless that's that actually you know that couldn't happen because nothing's limitless especially for an audience it's very very practical i would say engineers um and very data driven so they can even talk out loud as they see some creative and start poking holes that we think you know what they have a good point or maybe this value prop doesn't isn't actually as important in driving a buying decision as another one. So no, we're never looking for them to tell us exactly what they need. It's just almost more of having a dialogue and, and deeply understanding um, what they're up against and some of their biggest challenges. So we, we use qualitative, we also use tools um, like full story that just, it is more of an ethnography view of customer data and behavior so we can see you know are they actually using the digital experience the way we thought so but i agree with you we um it's we have to be very careful about the type of questions we ask and how we what we infer from some of those responses i love that imagine an engineer saying well it's not actually possible to be limitless <laughs> Yeah, and it happened <laughs> we thought you know what you're absolutely right so kind of from the beginning they're thinking they're already thinking uh, they're probably, maybe they're telling me that this product is too good to be true. Right. So we went back and we changed it. And, um, they, we even, even had engineers tell us like, you know, I don't quite know how to use this. And we thought we probably over designed some of the digital experiences. So it can, it can be very insightful. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample abm you know this is one area where like the engineer is being quite literal uh, around uh, no such thing as limitless there has to be you know i guess and so that's i think a good example of where some marketers would hear that and they would roll their eyes exhaustively and say really like this is where we're at we can't just have we just can't have an english headline here and just have a bit of fun with language um, so it's like, you know, so they beat up on engineers a bit and there'd be a, almost like, um, I don't know, like 
uh, engineers are from Venus, marketers are from Mars or something. Um, but I guess, is there an example of where you've been maybe this surprised the most about how they're, you know, how, how maybe they're mischaracterized? Mm -hmm. They're humans like any of us, right? So I think sometimes we think we're so much different than an engineer and they can enjoy a beautiful picture and a really simple, clean experience, just like any other consumer. And so sometimes I think we, we might think, oh, they want all the details. And so we need to give them a 200 page manual or data sheet, which happens and we have, and those have their purpose, but do they need all of that data for some of their first experiences or some of their digital experiences when they're just learning about the product? And the answer is no, they don't always need that immediately. They may need it later as they're designing something, you know, maybe one of our customers is NASA. Maybe NASA might need that as they're actually using the product and developing something, but when they're doing early inquiry, um, so they're humans just like anyone else and they can be, they can enjoy and appreciate great marketing like anyone else as well. well yeah, I think people really ought to listen to you there, frankly, because that's, you know, it's, it, Part of that is the recipe. Part of what I was saying is the recipe why you see so much boring marketing in, in the manufacturing space and B two B manufacturing. It's like it's because they think, oh well, no, you know, you can't possibly be entertaining if you're talking to an engineer. You have to just keep, you know, the facts and only the facts. Um, I guess do you have any kind of guidelines that you follow there, or ways that you think about it? Like when do you shift to um uh that uh, additional detail versus when are you comfortable with being a bit more um persuasive in your copy mm -hmm. you know i think i tend to find that engineers very humble they also have a, a, a great sense of humor so um we can sprinkle it throughout i think the deeper they get into you know using up the product and you know thinking about purchasing it we need to make sure that we have all of those details available for them. But um, we like to map out the customer experience and journey. So oftentimes, Carmen, what we see is earlier stages when they're really just doing a lot of research um, or they're learning about something new. We can um, we can bring in some of that humor. We can bring in some of the creative ways to connect um, and it can definitely resonate and be very effective. I I really like that you brought up the notion of a buyer's journey here because what you were saying a moment ago made me think that you know you have the potential with this process with this this methodology to not just map an individual buyer's journey to bringing them in as a customer but also given the listening side of things mapping out what products might be part of their buying journey next and are you are you getting to that level of it where you're kind of looking into the future and saying, you know, we have these people, we've brought them in, they've responded to the marketing, they've consulted with us and and kind of helped us um, understand what their needs are and and how to communicate with them. Have you then also kind of mapped out that future state? You know, we try to, Jeff, um, and we've got we've got a lot of products that we sell. You know, our we're most known for our hardware. So 
what different technology they might use to test, but we also have software, we have different services. So deeply understanding what happens post-sale and, and also how we can add value to customers post-sale is important. Um, typically, our customers have our products for years and years. And what would trigger a new purchase is when they have a new project so and or there's a change in technology. So if there is a change in the USB technology or uh, PCI Express, for example, or new power, um, there's huge trends in electrification and power right now. So they might need something new for that. Um, but they can use our products for a long time. So they may add to their bench of things that they need, or they may need to upgrade and change or even add software and things like that. So um, I would say as a company, we're trying to get much better at that post uh, sale journey. So how do we, how do we continuously support and connect with the customer and even sell um, new offerings that we have, maybe the software, the services that we haven't been as well known for as well. I think that's, um, I'll be curious to see uh, how your learning evolves uh, there. Uh, I guess the side of that uh, customer journey that I'm always intrigued with is um, how much of an impact the early impression stage has, like the um, uh, receipt of the product, first use, et cetera. Uh, and then the, obviously the, the transitioning over to advocacy in the later stages. Um, uh, it can be an interesting trick, I think, for marketers to try to find what are those moments of truth in, in that early impression phase that can really drive towards advocacy. I did wish I had a question there, Christy. I was just more suggesting what I thought was interesting about that. I know. And I'm nodding my head because I, I agree with you, <laughs> Carmen. It's one of those kind of endless journeys for for marketers and for product marketers to really understand some of those meaningful moments for a customer and how do we get better on the, the opportunities where they there could have been an even more meaningful moment. So we're, we've been really leaning into that, um, I would say, and trying to do a much better job. We, we've tended to really focus on the, um, like a lot of marketers, the early stages of it, right? Like how do we capture their attention and then how do we provide them enough information that they would be interested in raising their hand and connecting with us on and purchasing or learning more. But it's that full journey. Um, I think a lot of marketers have an opportunity to think a little bit more strategically, particularly hardware companies where it hasn't been always a natural inclination. I don't want to um, end this conversation without having explored a little bit more um, your application of uh, uh, ethnography into the voice of customer work. Um, are, are you able to give us a bit more uh, detail as to how that's coming to life? I'm always curious uh, about um, how people are immersing themselves uh, in their customer's environment. And frankly, I'm always curious if the customer knows that they're there or not. Like, have there certain uh, ethnographic approaches? Like one I remember uh, the firm I worked with, called, they called it bird watching, um, uh, which, of course, we kind of know what that means. And somebody says that they don't know that they're being watched. Um, I guess, how, what, what have you used to, to kind of bring that ethnographic research to life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an important um, part of the, the voice of customer work that can give us some deep insights into um, 
some of the jobs to be done or even some of the workarounds that, you know, customers don't even know are workarounds and they're, you know, taping up different devices. We've got some customers that are really on the high end of like really complex tests. So these are um, customers that are testing really high speed data. So very complicated setups. When we've done some of that ethnography, we've seen them do really, really complicated things just to connect. I've seen e even customers like hold something up with their teeth to then try and connect a probe. And you think there's gotta be a better way, right? So that's an example of the power of ethnography to your point, Carmen. Um, it's been harder over the last couple of years on how do we really watch customers when we haven't been able to really do a lot of that face-to-face. -face. So um, we also have tools, I mentioned full story. So that's an ethnography tool that we use on the website. So we can watch customers literally go through our site and you know have rage clicks if they're going back because they can't find what they want. So that's a really compelling way that we can even almost democratize the ethnography as well of let's go out and look at what customers are doing on our site and are we creating delight or are we creating frustration? How's the experience we've built? So um, the best ethnography is going there and seeing it to your point, Carmen, on this bird watching. Um, we wanna do that as much as we can, but also mixing in some of these digital tools are a great way to um, get our full team involved and have a full team sport and also do things right now. And try to connect the dots in some way between yeah. those two things. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. How uh, you bring up an interesting point, you know, that you haven't been able to get out there and, and be with the customers physically over the last couple of years. You know, we all know why. Um, how has your, I mean, obviously that's one part of it and using digital tools, maybe another, but what are some of the other things that you've done in order to adapt this and kind of continue to move down this road since the, the beginning of the pandemic? You know, it's just, it's thinking a little bit differently and, and like, I'm sure you can imagine constraints can bring out innovation. Um, so as much as I'd like to visit all of our customers in person, I've also realized I can't let that stop me. So I've even started a, a series where I'm just going and interviewing some of our customers so I can stay connected on what are your biggest challenges and in, in, um, in jobs to be done and what's changing in your market. If we want to go deeper on some of these trends and technologies, we can do that as well. So um, sometimes it's even asking ourselves, what would it take for me to get out to a customer this week? What would it take for me to go out and connect with a customer in a month? And connecting with our customers may look different, but we still need to go and, and push ourselves to really drive that engagement that we're looking for. Um, so I guess in summary, it looks a little bit different, but how we do it um, and how we do it, but we, we can't let this um, kind of this, this gap in face-to-face uh, -face prevent us from staying connected with customers. I really love that. Because, you know, so many people say, well, we, we can't do that anymore. You know, we're going to have to have to rebuild everything and start over. And maybe there's a whole other way of going about it. You know, it, it's not, you know, obviously that's not an optimal way for uh, to move forward. Absolutely. I, I'm very appreciative, uh, Christy, of uh, of the length of time you've been at the firm and because the depth of experience that comes with that, that uh, um, uh, frankly, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of marketers tend to uh, uh, jump around an awful lot these days, so uh, not to get too Henry Mintzberg uh, on it all, but there's this, there's something I think that comes um, with, with focus. Um, 
I'd be curious if you were kind of giving yourself advice uh, 16 years ago, if you're going to hit rewind, mm -hmm. um, what's the one thing that you maybe know now that you wish you knew then that would have served you best over that time? I know technology and things change, but marketing doesn't change mm -hmm. as much as technology. Mm -hmm. So, You know, for one, I think about my younger self, um, is just probably believe in yourself a little bit more. I think as a young female, um, especially coming into an engineering world, I have a liberal arts degree. I think I, I thought I didn't have as much to add to the conversation. Um, so I would hold it in, right? I'd hold in ideas and thoughts and it took me a while to continue to like build that confidence. So I think first is believe in yourself. You've got a lot to add to the conversation um, is one. Uh, and the other is like, don't wait for permission. So you've got an idea. The business just wants you to contribute and help with these larger goals. You know, they don't need you to wait and ask for permission all the time or see if this is your job or someone else's. Just go make an impact and a contribution in a way that's going to make um, help the company. So those are a couple of things. I, uh, it, it's, um, I, I hope a lot of people really listen to that because uh, I was just, I was having a, uh, drinks with an old colleague um, uh, last week, and uh, she was uh, kind of commenting. I had had a kind of a similar comment around um, this notion of imposter syndrome, and and she said that she she felt that maybe um, uh, women fall victim to feeling like they're uh, uh, impacted by that more than guys do because we're uh tend to be uh, overconfident versus the opposite maybe um and, and it just occurred to me in that moment um that i think so many people coming in uh, into these types of organizations can can feel outmatched right they can and um and man you are, you know so much more about so many different things that the rest of the organization has no concept of right like a, a marketer with a liberal arts background and a company of engineers they brings a boatload of unique perspective I, really that's a, a fantastic but knowing that you have it and being you know being willing to bring it forward i, yeah. I think you know christie's point is certainly something that uh, a lot of people you know, could take to heart mm -hmm. and learn, especially as they begin their careers in in these organizations that are, you know, typically male and engineer dominated. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Christy, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. I've uh, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Oh, thank you. I loved spending time with the two of you, and I I feel like I could talk to you for several more hours, but I, I do appreciate connecting, and um, it was great to spend more time with you. We'll put that on the books for uh, later this year or in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to do follow-up episodes. Thanks again, Christy. You bet. Take care now. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash thecoolerring.